You're listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast, a daily podcast dedicated to helping B2B marketing, sales, and customer success professionals become masters of their craft. It's Tuesday, and today you'll hear an episode from our Takeover series. Every month, we ask a different practitioner or thought leader to host a series of interviews that cover a specific theme that's relevant to our community. And like Sangram always says, without a community, you are simply a commodity. Here we go. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to ABM Mythbusting. So this is a podcast series. And what we do is we look at account-based motions that are a common practice out in the industry, but may not always be the best practice. My name is Celeste Lunsford. I have the pleasure of being Chief Research and Strategy Officer at Emissary. And what Emissary is, is we're a human intelligence network. And what that means is that we have about 10,000 executives in our network. And what we do is we connect them to sellers and marketers. They all had very senior positions in the Fortune 500 and can provide coaching on how to get into accounts, how to accelerate deals, or expand relationships. And so I'm pleased to have one of those emissaries with me today, Mike Conley, who's former CIO of Optum and CTO at United Health Group. Welcome, Mike. Hello. Nice to be with you, Celeste. Thanks for coming along. So the, the myth we're going to tackle together today is email prospecting is dead. And so you'll see lots of webinars over the last six months about that's it, stick a fork in it, email prospecting is dead. And the context in this one is that indeed response rates, click-throughs, they're dismal, right? And they haven't been good for a very long time. And in fact, we polled our emissaries, so a couple hundred people, just as yourself, on how they bought and their impressions and those sorts of things. And only 6% said that, yes, I'm actually likely to engage with someone based on a prospecting email that they sent me. So that's a fairly small number. Mm-hmm. Where the numbers got bigger is 31%, so nearly a third said, yeah, I ignore email on principle, right? So prospecting mm-hmm. emails, I just delete them. I don't even read the subject line. So not optimistic. But when you look at it, what that leaves is kind of a fairly substantial glut in the middle, you know, to almost two thirds, maybe 62% who say, yes, sometimes I'll engage with a prospecting email and sometimes I won't. So for marketers, the key is, is how can you be part of the lucky ones for that sometimes group? So now, Mike, in your job, I know you were responsible for billions of dollars of tech spend, right? So lots of things rolled up under you. And I'm guessing you might have gotten one or two prospecting emails during that time. And I'm wondering, off the bat, which were the ones that you just weeded out or eliminated and why? Well, I'll start with the easiest ones. The easiest ones were were bizarre ones that um, had nothing to do with my industry, right? So I, I, I remember I'd get these, like, for some reason, they thought that as a, as you know, CIO of Optum, I'd be interested in precious metals. So those were easy <laughs> to block. And then there were the ones that were just, you know, repetitious, came too often. I've noticed that I've gotten the same email I'm not interested in from this person. So now I'll do the tiny little extra step of work. Instead of hitting delete, I'll say block sender. And at one point in time, I was looking at my block senders list. I think it was, you know, like I was getting, I was averaging well over 150 emails a day that were blocked, you know, just because I had blocked them in the past. So why did I not block some? And mm-hmm. and I think it comes back to two things that I think are really important are our relevance and credibility. And I right. think in a lot of cases, you know, it, you can get credibility because of the organization you're in. Mm-hmm. Um, because you're an interesting organization that's doing interesting things. You know, they're, they're some of the key vendors. That, actually, I would say generally all my key vendors, I would not 
wholesale block really anything from them just because I because by definition they're relevant. Sorry, by definition they're credible. And the relevance is is something that has many aspects to it. Is it relevant to the role I'm doing versus the role of someone who is three levels above me versus the, the role of someone three levels below me? So is it relevant in terms of scale and importance? But topical relevance is probably the biggest. Okay. It is, it, does this email, and I rarely, very rarely, I, you know, probably once every six weeks, I would guess, would, would, would get an email and forward it to somebody. Say, do you want to take a look to this? And, and it really has to be something where they, it was sort of the, a Goldilocks email that was just right for yeah. what I was concerned about at that point in time. So as a marketer, you know, to hit on that lucky spot, to have that Goldilocks moment, you have to be in front of that person fairly frequently to make sure that you you are there and the time's right. So how does someone stay on your radar without getting to that point where you are feel like there's no value in this constant outreach and right. hit the, the dreaded block list? Be careful not to be there too often. Mm-hmm. Be, be make Make the best informed guesses you possibly can about relevance mm-hmm. and then understand that and, and then don't don't commit some of the great sins you know the, the great sins are things like you know we've discovered that you have a massive security breach or, or your customers must be very angry with you because your response time is so slow right it's so like you, you think i don't know this stuff you think i don't know what's going on and I think I think, but part of that is, I mean, if you're taking and and we're and we're talking within the context of account-based marketing here, so you should be taking an information about what's likely relevant for this particular customer. Mm-hmm. You should also look at, you know, what are they what are they speaking on if they're speaking on things? What are they what do they seem to be publicly focused on? But hopefully, this is also in the in the context of having some relationship with that account. So you have folks in the account who can say these are what these are what the hot topics are. These are the strategic topics. Having said all that, recognize that, you know, if I'm one of the 31% that just ignores email entirely, you're not going to get through to me, right? If I'm if I'm one of the two-thirds that's at least open to it, you know, it's like so many things in selling. You know, the, the I think people don't understand what what a how, what a stochastic process selling is, right? That that something you do might work 30% of the time, but you have no idea which which uh, <laughs> which time will be that 30%. Um, so I would make sure you stay very respectful in tone. I even ask, you know, if, if you have a leader that you're sending information to, why the heck not ask them, is this stuff useful to you? Right. right? Because, because, you know, actually one of our pet peeves is to get a voicemail to tell you that you just had gotten an email. That's thank you. Thank you very much. But um, I think it's perfectly fair if you're looking at an account with a long-term relationship to say, hey, we um, have this particular set of marketing materials. Are those of interest to you? Just because you're planting the seed that next time I might want to listen to this one. Yeah, that's interesting. When you you talk about relevance, there's a a couple of things in there, one of which was that relevance to the organization. But you also mentioned like the relevance to the person and the role and where am I speaking about things? And is this relevant for me as an individual? Right. And I think part of the challenge is what we are learning, probably have known for a while, but continue to learn and relearn is that you don't sell to individuals, you sell to accounts. And for anything big, it's, you know, minimum five, maybe seven or eight contacts, which means when you are running an ABM campaign, you may have, you know, a list of 20 different people you're really trying to get in front of. And I think sometimes it's tempting not to personalize those messages enough 
for the people. So you work really hard to personalize it for the account because I do have someone in there. I do know a couple of things about the business issues, but not for the individuals. Yep. Yeah, and I'll tell you, I, but even that personalization can be tricky if you don't do your homework because you know if I got an if I got an email that said, "Dear Michael, I'm pretty sure this person doesn't know me." Yeah. Right. And or <laughs> my favorites are dear and then you'd see the uh, the delimiting brackets <laughs> first name last name you know whoops this is really personal I, but i think a lot of times and one thing i would say is people can here, here's the problem if it's fake personal it's probably going to fail in other I words know. if it's if it's you know if it looks like it's personal for me but it's actually fake it's probably going to fail the yeah. problem is that doesn't mean something legitimately personal that takes a significant amount of work is going to succeed. So I think I think you just need to recognize that, like I said before, you know, there, there's sort of a, a probabilistic nature of sales that says you're, you're going to need multiple tries. Yep. Speaking of multiple tries, you know, one of the things I think organizations and sellers have and marketers have gotten better at is this whole idea of like omni-channel. So email alone it probably is dead, but email in combination with maybe more value-added voicemails versus the ones you mentioned, LinkedIn, other things like that tends to create a little bit more awareness. When you think about, you know, your roles, are you more or less receptive when it comes to something like LinkedIn? How did you manage that? I would say, you know, kind of the LinkedIn, the, like, what, what's the term they use for their in? In-mail. Right. Yeah. I would say that those were a bump, but here's the, here's the interesting part. Number one, I've chosen to be part of, I've chosen to be part of LinkedIn and I, and I chose whether I, I choose whether I pay attention to LinkedIn and whether I get notifications. Yep. That's not, that's not the same as the fact that because I had a job, I had an email address. Right. right? So I would say the, like the LinkedIn area is a significant step above because you know, if something's coming from LinkedIn, it's the, the probability of it having being more relevant is actually higher. So I probably paid more attention to those, especially, you know, you know, frankly, if it came from somebody, you know, it might be a case where, where I would miss somebody's, you tend to pay attention to LinkedIn or stuff simply because you're, you're constantly getting requests to connect right. and, and all that stuff. And so there might be cases where I might've not noticed if it had been set from a, their personal email address, but because it's LinkedIn, I'm more likely to see it. I do actually think that's that it is a legitimate value. I can't tell you whether that that takes the 6.2 to 8 or 6.2 to 23%, but I, I do think it is a step up over just a regular email. That's interesting. That that does uh, reflect what we did in that survey as well. So it was 78% that people hmm. said sometimes, yes, yep. you know, I'm the sometimes and the the I ignored on principle group was much smaller. Than yep. 30%, it was 720%. So, and I, and I would say a, a big part of that is because I chose to engage in LinkedIn and I yeah. chose to take notifications from them. Right. You know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're putting yourself out there to network and be part yep. of a community versus you sort of coming into my space, which feels more intrusive. Right, right. It's interesting when you take that further, uh, when we asked about other forms of communication when it came to voicemail or physical mailers, those were much lower than uh, email. So they right. were 49% for voicemail. Um, and then it was like 40% or something was was open when it came to physical mailings, which used to be sort of the secret sauce of something like ABM, but there was a lot less interest in those than had been in the past. Well, and, and what I'm really happy about is, you know, before I retired, people stopped 
finally doing stupid things like sending an RC car and offering to bring me the remote, <laughs> you know, because after a while, you just feel bad throwing that stuff away. And I also think with so many people starting to blend their office life and their home life, which was even happening before the pandemic, yep. if you're trying to send me something at my home, that now feels particularly intrusive, right? Yeah, that's, that's borderline creepy. Yeah. But the right combination of I'm on LinkedIn, I'm sending you value-oriented uh, voicemails, emails, that can be effective, but it does take a lot more, more oomph. And to your point, I think you have to be accepting that you're never going to get to a, a great hit rate or a great crypt. Right. You're just trying to get to that, that sometimes crowd some of the time. Yep. And I think, I, and, I'll, and I'll also say, I think voicemail at this point may be the, uh, the lowest probability one. Because, mm -hmm. you know, frankly, voicemails, phys phys a physical mailing I can pick up and throw away. Right. You know, a voicemail is an annoying serial technology. You know, so with voicemail, you, you tend to be, as you say, you tend to 337 rather quickly. Yeah. So how much of that do you think maybe have to do with the level of the person that you're reaching out to? Is there less tolerance at senior levels? Is it more individual personality? I think it's about individual personality as much as mm -hmm. anything else. I've known senior leaders. I've had, I've, I've known senior leaders who have forwarded voice or forwarded emails fairly often. I've known others that don't do any of them. And I've known junior people who, who do that. I mean, recognize, I mean, everybody's busy. Okay. And, and, and right. you can say that the, the busiest people are at the top of the organization. That's not necessarily true. Everybody's busy. Everybody has pressures on them. And that's why I still think the primary test is relevance in the customer's mind. Of course, for the sales and marketing team, it's relevant. It's their job, right? But to understand the relevance for the customer and the customer tailored as much as possible to be personal and, and specific and getting to you with the right timing of what's there is, and again, within that context of email response, that's what would make me most likely to respond. And it'd be like, like for me, when I, when I had someone who was uh, running information or risk management running for me, you know, I would never respond to the, hey, we've been scanning your network. Thank you. Goodbye. But I would respond to, uh, although no one actually puts it that way, right? They, sure. You understand what I'm saying, right? Yes. Like some implication that they've discovered an issue is, you know, yeah, whatever. Um, and I, by the way, you can do that if you want. All I can say is you damn well better be right and it better be novel. Because <laughs> if it isn't, those three will be gone. But if, but if it was a topic I was concerned about, and mm -hmm. then I would forward it. Right. You know? Didn't happen often, but if it was a topic, a topic that I, you know, if it's a problem, I don't think we have a good handle on, or I don't think we've, we've um, have a good direction towards solving. Absolutely, I, I move it on. But just understand, most of the time, that's not the case. Right. Uh, most of the time, you have a pretty good sense of what you, of what you're doing. You've already made a decision, and it's not open to be revisited. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the challenges when you are in a, a sales or marketing role and you're trying to message is you want to be bold enough to stand out. But to your point, that also can contain some big risk if it comes across that I, I think I know your business better than you do. And I'm sending this around your organization telling other people I know your business more than you do. That can be a tipping point and the risk there may go the wrong way. Well, I, I think the bottom line is, you know, I, I give you a couple examples. When someone gets a note from the very, very top of the organization, very close to the top, where someone says, hey, we've identified that there may be risks in your organization. Like I said before, you know, you better be right. Yeah. You know, and it better be novel. It's like, 
if you're going to tell me that I have a, I, like in the security space, if you're going to tell me that I have a larger list of known vulnerabilities that I'm likely to get to this week, I think mm -hmm. I already know that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think that's like a, a universal fact of life. Or if you're, if you're going to, you know, say, you know, just use an example, we can save you a great deal of money on optimizing storage or whatever it is, but I already have a program that does that. Right, it's just not as interesting. And again, back to relevance too, what is a lot of money for you and your organization and your right. budget? So it's always kind of a tough thing if I'm on the outside and I don't know what's relevant. What I think is cost savings is just irritating to you because of switching cost. Yeah, and, and, the, and the thing also is if you're managing, you know, let's suppose you have responsibility for a billion dollar budget. I'm just making that number up, right? Sure. If you have responsibility for a billion dollar budget, you know, $5 million or $3 million or a million dollars is still a lot of money. Mm -hmm. But odds are, unless the organization's in financial crisis where it's different, odds are you've entrusted somebody else to make those decisions because you're focusing on more strategic things. Now, if your organization's in extreme financial disarray or having right. issues, you may have a billion dollar budget where you're looking at things down to $10,000. That does happen sometimes. Right. But, you know, I, I, I can remember, you know, cases where someone would, you know, come see me usually because they had a they had a connection to somebody and I didn't feel like I could say no. And and it was like, you know, yeah, I you know, we we might be able to save eighty thousand dollars on this. But, you know, <laughs> right. This, please go talk to this person because I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I don't know. Um, I want to go back to something you had uh, started out with in terms of both relevance and credibility. We've talked about relevance a bit, but tell me a little bit more about credibility. So you said, you know, obviously if they're, you know, incumbent, that's one thing. But for someone on the outside who's not an incumbent provider, how do they demonstrate credibility? Yeah, and this is where, you know, in my time selling, I was with Hewlett Packard for the first 14 years of my career. And that was that was a big that was a big deal because most most of the time, just being at HP allowed you to have a certain amount of credible credibility because of right. the, the size and success of the company. So things that will make you seem more credible. Well, first of all, I'll, I'll tell you, like if you say, if you list all the competitors of mine you work with, that's fine. If you're at a big company, I probably work with you too in some place I don't know. Right. right? So, so like listing the competitors, everybody works with everybody, it's fine. However, if you're more specific than that, and it's this person on this project, that could be interesting. You know, I'm working with X, we are working with XYZ company very specifically on this, or we've successfully implemented it. And we have permission to tell you that can be, that can be interesting. The second thing is that, you know, a great way, you know, it, one of the best ways to get somebody's attention is to leverage the credibility of somebody they know. Right. right. So there's a peer in the community I do, I know that I know, and mm -hmm. they say with permission, hey, on this person who's the CIO of this organization, I asked them if they thought this would be relevant to you, and they said yes. You know, if it's somebody I really know, that's that's pretty powerful. And I think one of the things, I mean, I, I rarely saw, interestingly, because I think because sales is, tends to be so siloed and everybody's focused on their own, I rarely see cases, you know, where a where you know, even even the, the vendors I was very close to saying, hey, can you help us be credible at this account? I absolutely would have, but you really don't see much of that kind of activity. At least I didn't. 
Yeah, it's interesting. One of the things that people still feel like is this huge gap is asking for referrals. Because to your point, I I, I can name drop, but that's yep. that's also in that that's icky space. If I haven't asked that person if I can name drop, but to do that, I need to be confident enough that I've added value to this organization that I would ask them to refer me to someone or mm-hmm. even to participate like in a, I'm going to have a panel with others and would like you to invite some peers, those sorts of stuff. For some reason, people don't have more angst about that. And I think sometimes they're worried, what if my relationship isn't as strong as I think it is? Uh-huh. Well, you well, want to do that now. <laughs> well, and I think some of the things, sometimes we need to, when we, When we train salespeople, sometimes we need to train them to ask questions in a way that it's easy to say no. Mm -hmm. And this would be an example of that. If I'm, if somebody's going to ask me, Hey, would would you be okay if I told X, Y, Z that you found this, you blah, 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 blah. Just make it easy to say, you know, start with the, Hey, if this is remotely a problem for you, no big deal. You know, just make it sometimes the best path to, to yes is to make it easy to say no. Right. And I think that's that's the difference in you know where you are in expanding an account versus where you might be in trying to close a deal from the outside. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so you can transfer credibility from other accounts if you're specific mm-hmm. enough and from other people if you actually have have their endorsement, so to speak. Yes. So just a bit more than just a name drop. Right, right. And you know, there are there are actually, you know, heck, there are there are salespeople I would have been happy to make a call for. Just amazing that they, people don't seem to want to ask. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. We missed opportunity. The other thing I think it's interesting when you were talking about, of, hey, you work with my competitors. You know, everybody does. You know, if you're a large organization, you work with, and you're probably incredibly siloed. You probably work with every tech vendor there is. I was talking to another one of our emissaries who's in the financial services space. One of the things that he had mentioned is, you know, it drives me crazy when people bring case studies in financial services, because I feel like I don't care what those people do, that I'm the leader in the industry and they, they make me, I want you to bring me case studies of what you did for Google or Apple or something like that. And so it was interesting because I think people automatically assume if I mention one of your competitors, you'll be like, Oh, I got to get some of that too. And to your point, it's not necessarily going to be interesting or maybe even a turnoff. Right. It could, it definitely could be. And I think the other part that you hit on, it gets back to that, the issue of relevance. Mm-hmm. Um, most, and, and I think, you know, I, I, my, my, the entire sum of my career experiences with large organizations. So large organizations generally have a pretty good idea of just what the hell's going on in their industry yeah. and, and who's doing what in their industry. So if you're not in that industry, you know, directly and, and you're, you're bringing that information, it's probably not going to be really credible. But sometimes, I mean, there were, there were a couple of like newsletters that I would actually, you know, Mm -hmm. if I had time, I'd, I'd scan through them every time simply because they had legitimately interesting, relevant and novel information in them. Mm. You know, whereas, you know, most of the stuff you get, you know, honestly, most of the stuff you get, you could do a search for place on the topic and you'd have the same email. You know, it would, you know, honestly, it's sort of like a generic, you know, things are changing faster today than ever before in business. Oh, really? You know, and, and (laughs) you know, those sorts of journalists. And I've also said, you know, I, and I really believe this, one of the best ways to yes in like marketing materials is to give me enough information to say no. Yes. Right. 
So, so yeah. give me enough information that I could decide I don't want this or please don't send me anything. Yeah, that's interesting. In this survey, we asked people, you know, tell us what you expect, tell us what you don't expect. And like the number one thing that people had said in terms of what they like, enough information so that we're beyond the platitudes of digital transformation or blah, 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 cloud. Like I really know what you do. Right. And then the second thing they said is, don't send me long emails. <laughs> I don't want to read a lot. Yep. So that's the extra pressure if you are building the messaging for these things to say, I really need to convey, get beyond sort of what might be the generic messaging into something that people really understand what I do. And then, but also do so in a very concise way so that the person I'm sending this to doesn't have to work hard to understand it. Yep, that's tough. I mean, this is not easy. Um, it's not easy to get that attention. And, and when I talk about like newsletters, I'd actually read. It, that was simply because the content was sufficiently relevant that it was worth the investment of time to read it. And that, but here's the problem: there, there are probably a handful of those, and there's probably at least as many that I had I ever bothered the first time, I might have had the same feeling about. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, that's. I mean, I think that's why if you're going to be reaching out to people with email. The, the relevance is incredibly important. Yeah. That's probably the dominant thing. Is it relevant to what I'm thinking of? Secondarily is probably, probably credibility. And then, you know, you got to find the right balance, understanding that this is, that this is not a, uh, it, it's, not, it's simply not a deterministic process, right? So I'm sure there are folks that are studying things like email frequency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know, and doing that yeah. sort of research. But if you're doing a comp-based marketing, I think nothing nothing is more powerful than leveraging the knowledge you have of the individuals and the company. Right. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that over time, you know, being in sales 25 years ago, they would tell you, oh, do your homework, do your homework. And yeah. I think what the truth of the matter is that the expectation is so high. So, you know, I, this weekend, I was looking for a desk for my son. And so now any website I go to is about desks and I'll get 25 emails to my work email about desk. And so there's just this assumption that anybody who I'm going to interact with already knows everything I need and all about me. And I think sometimes it's an almost an unrealistic expectation. And so if you're a marketer or a seller and you're trying to personalize something for someone and do your homework, the level of that personalization needs to be pretty impressive for someone yep. to make an impact. Yeah. But I think it's also, I think also there's a, there's like a tone of humility yeah. that, that earns you the right to take a shot. And a tone of humility is in, instead of telling you this is super important, it's basically saying, I mean, this gets, gets back to sort of the principle of making it easy to say no if you want to get a yes, that if this is important to you, right, th th this is worth considering. You know, there, there's, a, there's a difference be between telling someone this is what you should think about and asking them to spend more time if this is relevant to them. Yeah, it's interesting. It's one of those situations where I think it's easier to break rapport than it is to, to make rapport because it's this yep. asynchronous distributed relationship we're building here. And it's it's hard for me to stand out, but it is easy for me to stand out, you know, in a negative way. So it's that, you know, I'm willing to do these asynchronous communications for the long term and be more maybe like you said, a little humility in, in my tone and you know, very value oriented with the idea that I'm just trying to 
create a positive impression and create some small yeah. level of value until the, the Goldilocks moment comes. Well, I can also tell you that something that I would have appreciated, again, this would be from, you know, it's, it's kind of hilarious because it's sort of the, the equivalent of people on YouTube asking to hit the subscribe button. But if I was meeting with a vendor that I had some interest in and they said, hey, we have some email marketing materials or email materials that keep touching, would you be interested in that? Right. And if I if I say yes, then I'm not going to view those with any hostility. So if you if you if you want your emails to be relevant, one of the best ways to do it is, you know, ask permission to be able to do that. I, I realize that I probably run completely afoul of how many uh, how some of the folks that are going to listen to this are being measured. But but the fact is, if you want to make sort of email an ongoing, valuable marketing to me one of the things is is ask me for permission mm-hmm. ask me what i'm interested in and because i'm unlike because if i if i say hey i'd like you know it's funny because i there were some email newsletters and from vendors i signed up for right, right. those right. didn't get blocked yeah it's interesting because i think sometimes the best way to start those relationships like you said is getting someone to opt in to communication versus yeah. it's not always the right time to ask for a meeting or ask for something that is that's more beneficial to me. It's more, I'm letting you opt into something that's beneficial to you. Exactly. Right on. Yeah. Awesome. Well, perfect. So we've come to the end of our time. And so I think, you know, we've explored a few things that are are helpful. So email prospecting, not dead, not maybe as vibrant as it, as it was, but certainly something that should be in someone's, someone's tool bag. So sellers rather than marketers are going to have to figure out, you know, what's that right balance so I can start to get to those sometimes buyers. The, you know, the 31% are never going to read any of your communications mm-hmm. and the 6%, you know, love them. They're great, but they're not, they're not all that common. So it's how do I get to that sometimes group? And, and, and by the way, and by the way, the, I'd like to see the 6% broken out by level of authority. Or they may have a marketing background and just so like someone in my background who's done a lot of research, whenever I get like a customer stat survey, I always am that one person who fills them out because I so feel for whoever runs yeah, that department. Understood. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's that balance. And we talked a lot about balance when we were going through the different aspects of it. So it's that, you know, give me too much detail. I don't want to read it. If you give me too little detail, I don't know what you do and I'm not going to invest the time to find out. Right. You don't get on my radar with enough frequency, then the odds of you hitting that Goldilocks moment are pretty nil, but you you know, are constantly across all of my channels to the point where it feels intrusive, then I'm going to block you because the frequency is too much. Yes. You have to stand out, but if you say something that's too bold, you are going to break rapport versus make it. And you have to keep in mind the personal space. So that was very interesting what you said about, you know, my email, my work email is my work and my email versus mm-hmm. something like LinkedIn that I'm choosing to say, hey, I'm out there to network and, and be part of the community. So when I'm, you know, in a marketing position, as I'm messaging different people, I have to be thoughtful of those channels and and how someone perceives that level of communication. And I think- it all comes back to where you started, which is all of this stuff comes back to relevance and credibility. Mm-hmm. And the standard for that is probably higher than it ever was. And what it means to really understand an organization before you even start is, is much greater. And knowing even though your hit rate's not going to be great, it, it has to be that level of, of relevant and credible to have any hit rate at all. Well, and I think the thing is with your hit rate, 
you know, uh, you know, the, the good news about emails, it's cheap. The bad news about emails, it's cheap. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's very easy to send a whole bunch of generic emails. I think we call that spam yeah. and, and get an almost no hit rate. Right. But, but, you know, on the flip side, you're going to have to balance how much energy you can afford to putting into individual emails to, to customize. So finding that kind of right position where it's, where it's sort of relevant enough without taking so much effort to do each one. I think that's probably going to be different depending on the the margin, sales cycle, and type of selling that uh, a particular organization is doing. Yeah. And definitely, I think the standard's different if you're running ABM campaigns where you might have a one-to-one, one-to-few type audience versus something where you are just doing general demand gen. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today thank and you. giving some some actual examples and illustrate from a buy. I always think it's it's important to have a buyer point of view on all of these things. So thank you for bringing that. And for those of you who are listening, don't forget to check out, there's other podcasts in this series about ABM myths. And always reach out to us at emissary.io if you'd like to leverage Mike or another emissary to assist in your marketing and sales efforts. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.